We'll consider several passages of Scripture this morning, but go ahead and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Job chapter 8 to begin with. Give you a moment to get there. We'll look at several verses in the book of Job. Job chapter 8, please. Let me say by way of introduction that the Bible, God's holy word, that's what the Bible is. This is God's word. It declares the sovereignty, the might, the omnipotence, the power of God. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, when Abram was 90 years old and nine, 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and He said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before Me and be thou perfect. In Genesis chapter 35, verse 11, we're told that the Lord appeared unto Jacob and He said, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac to thee I will give, and to thy seed after thee will I give the land. You see, God Almighty has the right and He has the power to give whatever He wills to whomever He wills. I hear folks all the time say, when you tell them God had mercy on some and on others He hardened, they go, that's not fair. Listen, God is Almighty. He has the right to do what He will with His own. And the whole shooting match, as Brother Montgomery used to say, belongs to Him. All of it. The earth and all the fullness that dwells therein, it's all His. It's all God's. The Almighty One. The name Almighty is synonymous with God. We shouldn't have to qualify God as Almighty. The name God, it means Almighty. Synonymous. And the title of the word Almighty is used 58 times in the Word of God. And 31 of those 58 times is used in the book of Job. God uses both the name God and Almighty separately, yet both names refer to the same One, the same God. Almighty means just that. Almighty. He's Almighty. It means to have complete power. And even the English dictionary defines the Almighty as a name or a title for God. Now, in Job chapter 8, verse 3, Bildad, the Shuhite, one of Job's so-called friends, speaking of the same sovereign God, said, Doth God pervert judgment, or doth the Almighty pervert justice? And then in verse 5 he said, If thou wouldest seek unto God and make thy supplication, your petition, your prayer, to the Almighty. So in other words, if you're going to seek God and make supplication to the Almighty, you'd be seeking and praying to the same one. They're synonymous. They're one and the same. God Almighty. Almighty God. <laughs> Look, uh, 
over in chapter 11 of Job. The question is asked by Zophar, another one of Job's acquaintances or friends. He says, Canst thou by searching find out God? Canst thou find out the Almighty unto perfection? I didn't give you the verse, I'm sorry. Look at Job chapter 13, verse 3. Job himself said, Surely I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire to reason with God. Two separate names, same person. So we again see that to speak and to reason with God is to reason with the Almighty. And to communicate with the same one. In Job chapter 15, verse 25, Eliphaz, the, the third fair weather friend of Jones, speaks of the wicked saying. And in verse 25, he says, For he, talking about the wicked man, stretcheth out his hand against God and strengthen himself against the Almighty. So we again see that God is Almighty and the Almighty is God. And the Almighty One is God and God is Almighty. <laughs> They're synonymous. We shouldn't have to qualify that. But the God that is preached today in many religious circles is anything but Almighty. Man has made this God dependent on them. You know it and I know it. If we're honest with what... We hear men preach, we would have to say that so. But who? But who but an almighty God could speak the heavens and the earth into existence? Who but a sovereign God could have mercy and compassion on whom He will and hardeneth whom He will? Who but an omnipotent mighty God can work all things after the counsel of His own will. Who but God Almighty could work all things together for the good of His people? Oh, Lord God, behold, Thou hast made the heaven and the earth by Thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for Thee. God says of Himself, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Is there? Again, it was God who told Abraham the same thing. He said, Is anything too hard for the Lord? Genesis eighteen fourteen. And Job speaking to God said, I know that thou canst do everything. There's nothing that God can't do. And that no thought can be withholding from me. Now, does such a one as God Almighty, who knows our every thought, does He need our assistance to accomplish His will? I think not. Even though there is nothing that's too hard for the Lord, now I want you to hear me, there are still some things that are not possible for the Lord to do. Now before you throw a hymn book at me, let me qualify that. 
Let me repeat. With the Almighty God, with whom all things are possible, some things are not possible for Him to do. How can that be? Brother, are you speaking out of both, both sides of your mouth? No? Listen to me. God cannot do anything that is contrary to His nature. And there's a long list of things that fall into that category. God cannot be wrong. God cannot make a mistake. Because God's always right and He doesn't do something because it's right. That's what a lot of folks think. It's right because He does it. He's the author of right. God cannot sin. God is perfectly holy, just, and righteous. That's His nature. God cannot change. He's immutable. He's unchangeable. He is the Lord who changes not. Malachi 3a. God cannot lie or break a promise. He's not a man that He should lie. He's not the Son of Man that He should repent or change His mind. God cannot diminish or increase. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God cannot deny Himself. Paul told Timothy, if we believe not, yet He, God, abideth faithful, He cannot deny Himself. God cannot be tempted with evil. I don't remember what movie it was. I saw it when I was younger, one of the Hollywood's interpretations of the life of Christ and and had the Lord being tempted by Satan in the wilderness. And I've heard men and women portray Christ being tempted by Satan in the wilderness as though He almost gave in to the temptation. That God was, that Christ was sitting there like, well, I don't know, all the kingdoms of heaven, or all the kingdoms of the earth, that looks pretty good. Perish the thought. God cannot be tempted with evil because God cannot sin. Jesus Christ is God. Some might say, well, how then does the Bible say that he was tempted if he cannot be? How would that be tempted if he was not tempted? Well, that word tempted means to be tested. And Christ was tested to prove that he was God who could not be tempted. Let me say that again. Christ was tested, tempted to prove that he was God who could not be tempted. What do you keep telling Satan? It is written. It is written. It's written. There wasn't no temptation. He's the one that wrote it. Yes, sir. James said, Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. And neither tempteth he any man. James 1.13 And even to the casual student of the Bible, these things are quite obvious. But there are some things that are not possible for God to do because they are contrary to His nature of being God. I want us to consider five of those things together with the time that we have this morning. And let me say without any reservation or hesitation that these things are not possible, that are not possible, are an absolute comfort to this sinner's heart. I'm telling you, they are a comfort to me. And I hope they are to you. Turn with me first to Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to turn you to at least 
five scriptures. Hebrews chapter 10. I want you to look at verse 4. Hebrews 10 verse 4. The writer of Hebrews here says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. So the first thing that's not possible is that God cannot take man's sin by the blood of bulls and goats. First and foremost, they wouldn't be just. Uh, let me give you four quick reasons why it's not possible. Sin is a transgression of the moral law. These sacrifices belong to the ceremonial law. Christ was born and obeyed the moral law. Secondly, the blood is not the same blood. It's not a bull or uh, the blood of a bull or a goat that sinned against God and offended Him. It wasn't a bull or a goat that, that sinned against God. Christ was bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh, and He could justly die in man's room instead. Thirdly, sin deals with the mind and the conscience to which an animal can't relate. Christ made His soul an offering for sin. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Fourthly, it was man that sinned against God, and it would take a man to redeem man from the death that He died. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. It's the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, that cleanseth us from all sin. It's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats or lambs or turtle doves or anything should take away sin. Not possible. The second thing that's not possible is found a page or two over in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Look at it with me. But without faith, it is impossible not possible to please Him, God. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Those without faith are those who are without Christ. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans 8.8 8. 
Paul wrote in Ephesians 2 verses 12 through 14 that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh, how? By the blood of Christ. For He is our peace who hath made both one and He's broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Jesus Christ is our wisdom. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. He's our sanctification. He's our redemption. He was made to be. We must believe that God is. Not only that there there is a God or that God exists. Everybody believes that pretty much. You got a, a a few uh, ignorant who claim to be atheists and say there's no God, but really they do. They're without excuse before God just by looking at the stars in the sky at night and seeing the marvelous creation that God Almighty made. We must believe that God is who He says He is. That's what He means. Do you believe that God is who He says He is? a matter of life and death. I tell you what, He's not this little puny sissy God standing on the portals of heaven wringing His hands together going, won't somebody just love me? Won't somebody just let me save them? That's not God Almighty. He's holy, eternal, unchangeable. He's love and mercy and truth. He's the God of creation, providence and grace. He does what He wills in the armies of the heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay His hand or question Him and ask Him, what are you doing? God, what are you doing? Well, He's in the heavens. He's done whatsoever He's pleased. That's what He's doing. Whatever He pleased. We must believe that He'll fulfill every promise Every purpose towards sinners in Christ Jesus. There's but one way to seek God, friends, and that's in Jesus Christ. True faith actually believes and is confident that God will give us all that Christ purchased. You get it all. It's not like an earthly inheritance where maybe a wealthy father has ten kids and it's split between the ten. You know, we get your little piece of the pie. No. In Christ, you get it all. All that's God's, it's all of Christ, and in Christ, you get it all. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, speaking of all God's people. That's who He's writing to. He's writing to, the, to believers. How shall He not with Him freely give us all things. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifies. Who see the condemneth? It's Christ that died, yea, rather that's risen again, who's even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. The right hand of God is the seat of power. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
And Paul lists about everything that you can imagine there. And he concludes that no one or nothing can. You can't be separated from the love of Christ. God would be a failure if you could be. You can't even jump out of His hand. No man can pluck me out of His hand. It's God's hand. You try to pluck something out of God's hand, see what happens. Now, do you believe that? Well, you must, for without faith it's not possible to please God. It's not possible. You cannot be saved without pleasing God, and you cannot please God without believing Him. Now, the third thing that's not possible is found in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. Turn there with me. Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. Not possible. Verse 39 tells us that in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says, And he, speaking of the Lord Jesus, went a little further and fell on his face, and he prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Now listen to me, dear sinner. It's not possible that this cup should pass from our Lord, Savior, and Substitute and you and I be saved. Not possible. Not possible. To understand why it's necessary to know what that cup that our Lord is that He's speaking of. What is that cup? Well, it wasn't speaking of the hour at hand, that horrific time of distress and horror where sin was put up on Him. It's not talking about that. This is referring to our Lord's future sufferings and death on the cross. This cup would be filled with all the sin of all God's people throughout all time and the curse of the law and the wrath of God would fall on the Lord Jesus Christ alone in the bearing of all these sins. What a dreadful, bitter cup. It was a cup of fury, a cup of cursing, a cup of trembling. And when Christ prays that this cup might pass from Him, His meaning is is that He might be freed from the present horrors of His mind. That He might be excused the sufferings of death being delivered from the curse of the law and the wrath of God. You see, dear sinner, Christ, the God, God the Son, was, was really a man. He was made a man. He suffered and was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. We talked about that in the first hour. And this request is made without sin. But it portrays the weaknesses of those for whom He sacrificed for. The wrath of God was poured out on the Lord Jesus and His prayer and request that this cup might pass was Something so horrific that no mortal, man or woman, has ever or ever will experience. We can't enter into this. There was nothing in view but the wrath of God. The curse of the law. 
Everything else was was out of sight. It, it bore so heavy on him. There's no wonder that such a request is made. If it be possible, was his cry. But it was not possible. What possible? By reason of God's decree and by reason of God's purpose, if He's going to put away the sin of His people, it was not possible. And our Lord goes on to say, Nevertheless, not as I will, but as Thou wilt. And that proves that our Lord's request was not sinful or contrary to the will of God in any way. He wasn't opposed to love for His people. It, it proves just the opposite. The Lord Jesus was in agreement and in accordance to the will and purpose of God. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. We were talking when the men met here between services. And uh, boy, I tell you, that that's a prayer that will be answered. Lord, not what I will, but what You will. That's what I want done. Whatever You purpose to be done, that's what I want. <laughs> we don't pray that way very often, do we? We want what we want. We pray and we have not because we... First of all, we don't ask and we ask amiss when we do to consume our request upon our own lust. I wonder how many prayers have gone up this morning for a new car, a new house, or something of that effect. I wonder how many have gone up and said, Lord, whatever, whatever you do is, is good. <laughs> not my will, but your will be done. It was not possible for this cup to pass from our Lord and His chosen people be saved. This is our mediator, Christ. And He's engaged to do for us what we cannot do. And He came down from heaven for that purpose, taking delight in taking our sin. And He completely finished the work of redemption for us. The fourth thing that's not possible is found in Acts chapter 2. Look there with me. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. These are verses you know well. Acts 2, verse 22. Paul, excuse me, Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost. And in verse 22, he says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by Him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, you saw him, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. Speaking of death. Child of God, it is not possible for Christ who was crucified and slain to stay dead. It wasn't possible. 
People say, well, I don't, I don't believe he, raised, he was raised from the dead. It wasn't possible to keep him in the grave. And the answer to why is found in verse 27. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Now there you go. That's the reason why. He's holy without sin. The eternal suffering of one like you and I would never atone or satisfy God's justice for just one sin, much, much less all of them. The reason hell is eternal is because when an unbelieving sinner is sent there, satisfaction can never be made. God should not leave Christ's soul in hell because He was holy. He was sinless, unblameable, and unreprovable in God's sight. And God, being a just God, could not and would not leave His soul in hell because divine justice would not permit the Holy One, Jesus Christ, to see corruption. You know what that means? Why, if the wages of sin is death, and it is, sin equals death and eternal death is due to sin. Christ had no sin. Christ knew no sin. Christ was made sin. And by being the Holy One, all the payment for sin was exacted, demanded, and obtained from Him. And God's wrath was exhausted, used up, and the pains of death could not hold Him. And it can't hold me either. And they couldn't lose. It can't hold you either if you're in Christ. That's the gospel of substitution. This is the doctrine of Christ and Him crucified. The believer dying in Christ is raised with Him and it's not possible for death, hell, and the grave to be holding of the pains of death either. That's why when a believer leaves this life, it's not the end, it's just a departure. <laughs> Moving on up. I say that with all due respect. We are really made perfectly holy and righteous in our Lord and Savior. God cannot pardon sin without full payment of sin. He would be unjust if He did. He will by no means clear the guilty. You know what that means? It's not possible for Him to clear the guilty. The soul that sins, it shall die. Holy justice demands it. You know what that means? It's not possible for the soul that sins to live apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. But the holy justice of God also demands that the innocent shall go free. God's unbending justice cannot allow God to take a man to heaven who's got hell in his heart. But yet God's inflexible justice cannot send a man or a woman to hell for whom Christ died. That's why I fly hot when I hear such nonsense. That Christ died for men and women that are in hell. Perish the thought. Not possible. Oh, so you believe one saved, always saved. 
Well, that's what it means when God Almighty saves you. That's what it means if the Lord Jesus Christ died for you. God made a way my debt to pay, not works done by me. Twas Christ that died, was crucified, and made this sinner free. Free from sin, free from judgment, free from wrath, free from condemnation. Free! And lastly, it's not possible for a child of God to be lost. Kind of an extension of the last thing, isn't it? Look at Matt. You're in uh, Acts. Look back at Matthew chapter 24. Verse 24. Matthew 24, verse 24. This is our Lord speaking. And he says there in verse 24, For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets. Let me add, they're here. They're here. And they shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Now, if it were possible, means that it's not possible. The elect of God will not be deceived. It's not because they're converted and they trust in Christ, persevering to the end, that they are the elect. The reason they're converted, believe and trust in Christ and persevere to the end is because they are the elect. Conversion, faith, and perseverance is not the cause or the condition of being elect. It's the fruit and effects of election. Election is unto salvation. Election has never been salvation. I don't know what makes people think that. Well, you say, if you're elected of God, you say, well, you, you will, you will be. But it's not the cause. It's the, it's the, it's not the condition. It's the effect. It's the fruit of being chosen of God. God will not permit His people to go astray. The Lord said, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of My hand. My Father which gave them Me is what? Greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of My Father's hand. I and My Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We're in this together. If you're in me, you're in God. And you and I and God, we're all one. Oh, we live in a day where salvation is thought to be accomplished in many ways. Men make saviors in Christ out of anything and everything. There are many man-made Christ. Did you know that? Look at verse 23. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets and show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they should deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, He's in the desert, go not forth. 
Behold, he's in the secret chambers. Don't believe it. Believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will be the eagles be fly, there will the eagles be gathered together. And immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And He shall send His angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they shall gather together His elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. One day, very soon, these things have come to pass. And when they do, the child of God will thank the Lord for all the things that were not possible because of who and what our great God and Savior is. I thank God that these things are not possible for a God with whom all things are possible. I'm so thankful. I am so thankful that it's not possible for me to be saved apart from the shedding of Christ's blood. It's not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to put away my sin. I am so grateful that the Lord gave me the faith to please Him and without faith, it's impossible to please. It's impossible to please Him without faith, without believing who He is, who He says He is, and believing what He's done. Having faith in Christ and what He's done for me makes me pleasing to God in Him. I'm so appreciative. Now listen, not as I ought to be, but still appreciative. I'm thankful. Not as I should be. That it was not possible for the cup to pass from my Lord who drank it dry in my room instead. Nothing for me to drink. Drink, drink the very last drop. You drink it dry, it's finished. Nothing in the cup. I am so hopeful that in Christ that it was impossible for Christ to be holding of debt. And since I am in Him, I can't be holding of death either. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? And no matter what comes my way, your way, or to any who are the elect of God, it's not possible for me to be deceived, led astray from the God whom I am naturally prone to wander from. Not possible. Do you see why this is called the Gospel? It's truly good news, isn't it? What good news is found in all the things that are not possible with God and all the things that, that are? Good news. Good news for sinners. <laughs> if you're a sinner, it's good news. Oh, may God be pleased to make it so for you who are yet without Christ. And may He do it for His glory, your good, and for Christ's sake.